Welcome to Life Church. My name is Dylan Johnston and I'm our Brookfield campus pastor. It's good to be with you. Would you put your hands together and welcome all of our campuses to the stream today? Special shout out to our Brookfield campus. Uh, I miss being with you today, but it is an honor to join you via stream. If you haven't been to the Brookfield campus recently, there are some major renovations that are being done there. In fact, this past week, it's been painted uh, for the most part on the outside, and it's constantly changing, constantly being renovated, and will be over the next several months. So, man, stop by, come by, see how it's doing, uh, come check it out. And I just want to say, Thank you to all of our campuses for being a part uh, of what God is doing in Brookfield. It's truly, truly the case. We are one church, multiple locations. And uh, Life Church is spanning across the state to reach more and more people with the life changing message of Jesus. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of that. Thank you for making it possible for us to do what we do at Brookfield Campus. Today, uh, I, want to, uh, I want to ask you a question. I want to pose a question um, that at, at surface level is a very easy answer. And yet if we really dig down into it, I think there's some layers to uncover. The question is this. What is a neighbor? What is a neighbor? Listen, I've had good neighbors And I've had not so good neighbors. Good neighbors, let me start there, let me start there. Good neighbors I've had um, are are like this. A few years ago in January 2021, it was one of the the only weekend service that Life Church has canceled since I've been on staff in six years. And we canceled because it started snowing heavily on Saturday afternoon, snowed all night long into midday Sunday, and the plows wouldn't be out. We realized every church in the area was closed in the doors for the Sunday, and we also did the same. However, as I'm sitting at home, drinking a cup of coffee, getting ready to enjoy church online, I get a text. There was an 18-wheeler with all of the basketball hoops, all of the scoreboards that were going to go in the gym of Brookfield Campus that was sitting outside of Brookfield Campus at that exact moment. And so I hopped in my car, drove over to the Brookfield Campus, and began to unload all of this equipment. After we did that, on my way home, I pull into our street, and I'm almost about to our house, and my car gets stuck. Now, I don't know about you, but this Texan boy being stuck in snow, I don't know what to do. I've heard stories. I've heard rumors. People say something about cat litter, something about carrying a shovel with you. Listen, I get it. You've got all the tricks of the trade. You've got you've got uh, chains on your tires. You've got four all wheel drive. I get you know what I don't, and I got stuck. And uh, luckily, in a matter of seconds. From when I got stuck, neighbors started coming out and digging my car out and getting me to where I could get traction again. And then I realized the rule is never slow down, right? <laughs> just don't stop. Keep going. There's a stop sign. Don't, don't, just disregard it. Keep moving. Because if you stop, you'll get stuck again. So I got home. I immediately walked. As I started to go into my house, I saw another car in front of our house got stuck. So I started helping. And just one neighbor after the other, for the next three or four hours, we began to be the unstuck crew. Uh, We were just constantly helping neighbors. Good neighbors. I had a neighbor a few weeks ago. Um, Our power went out on a Saturday and and on into Sunday. and We didn't have power at our house. And there were only like 10 of our houses that didn't have power. So the other neighbors did. 
And um, I realized here in this moment, I'm, I'm not going to ever go camping because, like, what do you do? What do you do without electricity, right? Um, my wife and I had to talk. And, like, we, we ran out of things to talk about. But my neighbor across the street knew we had small children and knew that I probably, he's seen me before and knows that, like, I'm not prepared for anything. And so, so he comes over before night had fallen, knocks on our door. He has, a, plastic, or he has a, a grocery bag, and he hands it to me and says, here, I just didn't want you all to go without light uh, with, with having two small children. I know how that is. And I open it up, and my goodness, let me tell you, this man is prepared for the end of the world. He had these lanterns this big that when you open them, they're LED, they can light up the universe. I'm not joking. They are so bright. They lit up our entire house and then some. I was scared. I was like, hey, we're going to have to only just crack it just a little bit. Otherwise, all the neighbors are going to be mad that we have lights on in our house. But the neighbor, he took care of us, and we were good with his end of the world lanterns until, until our power came back the next day. We've had good neighbors. We've also had um, neighbors where we've watched them fight over property lines. That's always a fun thing to watch. Uh, even recently, we watched neighbors get into it to the point where they called the cops on one another, and they were having the cops have to be the middleman to communicate whether whose property line these things were on and who was abiding by it. Was the fence in the right spot or was it not? In fact, we just had a neighbor that was uh, claiming that one of their, that their neighbor killed their trees, that, that intentionally killed their, I'm like, what are you talking about? Why would anyone ever do that? That just seems ridiculous. We've had good neighbors. We've had bad neighbors. We've had everything in between. And the question, what is a neighbor, I think uh, has some depth that we'll begin to realize in this story today. Many of you, you already know uh, somewhat of the trajectory of where this message is going. And, and, and it's going towards Luke chapter 10, and it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. If you're, if you're familiar with it, it's, it's the story that Jesus would tell. And in fact, Brookfield Campus knows this. We've been walking through many parables this summer. And parables are the primary way that Jesus would teach about the kingdom of God. Oftentimes, they can be tricky things. They, they, they take reading it, then rereading it, and then diving into it to really begin to understand, internalize, and process what it is that Jesus was wanting to communicate to the hearers of this parable. This parable, however, it's very straightforward. So before we read it, I want to give you my title and then give you a little bit of context. My title for today's message is this, Won't You Be a Neighbor? Won't you be a neighbor? If you're taking notes, write that down. Luke chapter 10, beginning of verse 25, uh, there's a, a gathering of people. Jesus is at the center of it and an expert in the law. Some versions say a lawyer. Some versions say a scribe. Stands up and asks Jesus, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, if you're familiar with text, one of the things I do when I read scripture, when I read the Bible, is I'm always thinking of cross-context from other areas in the Bible. And there's another moment where this exact or almost this exact question is posed to Jesus. And it's the moment when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? life. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? One question the rich young ruler posed in a manner that he is genuinely curious and desiring to follow Jesus. This, however, 
This, however, seems to come from a position of someone who is attempting to catch Jesus in a lurch. When it says lawyer in some of your versions or when it says scribe in some of your versions, what you should know is this. He's not a lawyer by modern standards. He's not studying the law so that he can figure out your, your relationship or your, 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 your property or um, figure out health care. Or, 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 he's not a lawyer by modern standards. It was by the Mosaic law. So this man was an expert in the Mosaic law. So when he poses this question to Jesus, what he's attempting to do is to parse through to see if Jesus has the knowledge, the wisdom, and understanding that he says and seems to claim that he does. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus then would ask the man, knowing that he would know the question, what is written in the law? How do you read it? The lawyer would go on, he would recite the Shema, which is the common prayer uh, that they would, the Jewish people would pray morning and night every day. It was kind of the way in which they would live their life. The bulk of it, he would quote first, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And he would recite that. And then he would say, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus then poses this question. All right, says this to him. You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And the man says this, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And this launches Jesus into the parable we have today. In verse 30, Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three, concluding the parable, Jesus would go on to ask, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the man who had mercy on him. And Jesus then says, go and do likewise. Who is my neighbor? That's what launched this parable. The parable, very straightforward. At first glance, you really get the bulk of it. There's not a ton of need to parse words and figure out what did Jesus really mean. No, no, no. He's just saying, this is what a neighbor does. This is what it looks like. And yet it comes from an unlikely person. There's four characters. You've got the Jewish victim, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. Four central characters and yet four specific people and four distinct backgrounds, four distinct ways of living. The Jewish man was walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's about a 17, 18 mile walk. It says go down to Jericho, but Jericho was probably north of Jerusalem. However, it was down in sea level. Jerusalem is perched up high. Jericho was perched down low. And so you would literally go down to Jericho. Robbers would hide along the path. And these people, the Jewish people who would be listening, would be very familiar with this, 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 this walk that Jesus would be talking about. He gets attacked and left for dead. The priest, based on what he believes, should be the one, first and foremost, to stop and take care of the man. 
You can see in the book of Deuteronomy, um, there are laws that if, if your neighbor's ox falls into a ditch, you're responsible to help him get out of a ditch. So, so you're responsible for your neighbor's beasts and animals. Much more so, we're responsible for our neighbor, for, for, for people, for, for individuals. And the priest would know all of these, these things. He would know that Isaiah tells us prophetically that we are to, to care for the wounded and hurting. And, and so the priest would know all these things. And yet when he sees the man who is injured, he passes on by. The Levite would have the same MO as the priest, the same responsibilities as the priest, the same knowledge of the priest, and yet he too would pass on by. The Samaritan, though, There's not a more unlikely person that would stop and help a Jewish person. The Samaritans were, uh, if you will, rivals for the Jewish people. They, 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 They disagreed on many things and they did not like one another whatsoever. In fact, the Jewish people would use the term Samaritan as a slight against other Jewish people if they did not like them or did not like how they were living their lives. But this individual, this Samaritan, stops and cares for the man, puts him on his donkey, takes him to the inn, starts a running tab, says, take care of him, I'll be back to pay off any extra that is owed. So then who's the neighbor? The man who showed mercy. Isn't it interesting that the lawyer of the the Mosaic law refused to say the Samaritan? It, It kind of shows the distinction there, doesn't it? He says, the man who showed mercy, and Jesus says, go and do likewise. The first thing I think is so clear, so, so evident here in this text is you and I, we are to be a neighbor. We are to be a neighbor. Those that love God, essentially this is what Jesus was saying, those that love God, they look like the third guy. They, they, they do what the third guy does. They, they look like the Samaritan. This man was concerned, the lawyer was, with who his neighbor was. And Jesus, he slows down and he says, I don't care who your neighbor is. I care if you are a neighbor. That's an interesting push and pull there. For the man was saying, hey, who's my neighbor? Who am I responsible to? And Jesus says, no, 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 you're looking at it wrong. I'm calling you to be a neighbor. Stop asking who is my neighbor. There are deeper questions to ponder. As John Piper explains, when we are done trying to establish, is this my neighbor? The decisive issue of love remains, what kind of person am I? For who your neighbor is, is less about who they are and more about who you are. It's more of a question of who am I? Who will I be? Are we going to be like the Samaritan who helps the person who is in need or will we keep on walking by. That's what this parable dives into, is who are we? Are are we going to be inconvenienced? Are we going to allow ourselves to, to meet a need? Are we going to allow ourselves to be late to wherever we're going in order to meet someone who is in need? What would our lives look like if we were this type of neighbor? How would it affect our homes, our workplaces, our communities? No longer is it to whom do I provide help, but it's whomever, whenever, and however. I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to love. I'm ready to care. I'm ready to help. Isn't that the gospel? John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to whoever believes. Whoever, anybody, 
whether whatever race, whatever creed, whatever uh, echelon of status in this world, whether they're rich or poor, whether they have much or little, whether they look like you, smell like you, or dress like you, it's whoever. That's what Jesus came for, and that's the type of neighbor that we are being called and commissioned to become. Dietrich Bonhoeffer would say, we have no time to sit down and ask ourselves whether so-and-so is our neighbor or not. We must get into action and obey. We must behave like a neighbor to him. But perhaps this shocks you. Perhaps you still think you ought to think out beforehand and know what you ought to do. To, To that, there's only one answer. You can only know and think about it by actually doing it. You can only learn what obedience is by obeying. Will we be a neighbor? Be reminded that this man began, the lawyer began the conversation asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus would work his way to the point where where he says, essentially, someone who is saved, someone that is inheriting eternal life, their life looks like the Samaritan. Not that, not that doing the acts and helping the poor and helping the needy and helping someone who's been beaten and robbed, not that doing that saves you, but someone who is saved, someone who is following Jesus, that should be the markers of your life. And here's what I've realized. What you believe is evident by what you do. What you believe is evident by what you do. The person who Jesus says to emulate here had the least amount of knowledge, but the most amount of mercy. It's not about how much you know, it's about what you do. Jesus would say in Matthew 7, uh, verse 16, he would say that essentially you know the, the type of tree it is by the fruit it produces. You know who someone is by what they do. The priest and the Levite, they knew what needed to be done, they knew the law, they knew the structure, they, they, they knew what it meant to be a good, God-fearing individual, and yet it hadn't worked their, its way down into their hearts. How do we know that? By the fruit of their hands. Because they refused to do, thus it had not taken root in their hearts. What we actually do is evidence by whether our hearts have been transformed or informed. Do we just have head knowledge or do we have something that has changed us from the inside out? Listen, listen, listen. And I'm not trying to get on anybody's anybody's, uh, case today. But we are more resourced uh, Christians and Christ followers than ever before. We have more podcasts, more books, more studies, more, more, more translations of the Bible, more study Bibles. We have more churches. We have more YouTubes and Facebook groups and text message uh, chains. And we, we have more of it than anyone in human history to become the most knowledgeable Christians of all time. And yet, just knowing it doesn't change us. There's something that must translate into the doing. Will we be the neighbor that does? There's real darkness, real despair, real hurt, real need, and there, are, there, there is a real message, message of hope that you and I have, but the question is, are we being the neighbor that is taking that message to individuals that need it every single day? 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20 reminds us that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And it concludes by telling us that you are ambassadors of Christ with the message of reconciliation. The message of hope for those who are lost. Do you get that? 
You and I were meant to carry with us a message that changes the hearts and minds of other people. I heard that once said that any gospel that terminates on you is not a gospel of Jesus. Any gospel that terminates on you is not the gospel of Jesus. What it's saying is this. Anytime a message of life change stops with just you and your life being different, it's not truly the gospel of Jesus. For the gospel of Jesus changes you that you might be an agent of change in this world. The gospel of Jesus is not another resource to be hoarded, but a message of hope to be heralded. Are we heralding the message of Jesus? Everything comes back to the heart. This parable wasn't to highlight the needy. It wasn't to highlight the broken. It wasn't to highlight the hurting. This parable was to highlight the heart. Where does our heart line up? This is one of the reasons I love being a part of Life Church. Because Life Church is a church full of people that are on mission and on purpose, who are willing to go to the highways, the byways, and everywhere in between in order to love, in order to serve, in order to give, in order to, 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 to meet people where they are with the message of Jesus. I love being a part of a church that does things to reach to the community, that lo- does things like Life Center, that resources people around the community with food, with clothing, with after-school programs, with all of this, I love that. And if you're looking for an avenue to begin to train yourself and teach yourself to be a neighbor, there's plenty of ways to do it. And many of those avenues are here at Life Church or in one of our partners that we believe in in the city of Milwaukee and beyond. Listen, there are so many ways to get involved. I would encourage you be a neighbor. Eugene Peterson would say this to follow Jesus implies that we enter into a way of life that is given character and shape and direction by the one who calls us. To follow Jesus means picking up rhythms and ways of doing things that are often unsaid, but always derived from Jesus, formed by the influence of Jesus. To follow Jesus means that we can't separate what Jesus is saying from what Jesus is doing and and the way that he is doing it. And this is going to be on the screen. To follow Jesus is as much, or maybe even more, about feet as it is about eyes and ears. Are we being the feet and the hands of Jesus? Are we doing what he's called us to do? So it brings us to this question, who are you? Are you the Levite? Are you the priest? Are you the Samaritan? If I'm in your shoes today, I'm asking this, who am I? Am I the priest? Am I the Levite? Or am I the Samaritan? And I begin to look back at my life and think through the times where I have walked on by. Walked on by the hurting. Walked on by the needy. I'm not just talking about, I think sometimes when we're talking about the Good Samaritan, we can easily relegate this to helping the poor. And I think that is a big misunderstanding and a a, a really wiping away the depth of this message. Because the poor is anyone without the gospel of Jesus. The poor is anyone who's hurting. The poor is anyone walking through an issue. And I can tell you the amount of times in my life that I have heard and felt like I was supposed to do something or help someone and, or pray for somebody. And when I didn't, how I felt like I missed the mark. And yet more often than not, when I did, I felt like I was right in line with God's will for my life. 
You and I are to be a neighbor. Won't you be a neighbor? God keeps inviting us in to a life of eternal impact to make a difference around us. Will we accept it? Will we embrace it? What I found is this, obedience is usually more simple than it is profound. It's usually more simple than it is profound. We love to laud and praise and celebrate the massive acts of obedience, the times where people pack up everything and move to the mission field, and we should celebrate that. We we, we celebrate when people take massive steps of faith and go out into this world in in order to to, to do something for the kingdom of God and to, to, to make a difference in this world. Yet I think more often than not, obedience is much more simple than it is profound. Will we take the simple steps of obedience? What we actually do will give evidence of whether or not our hearts have been transformed or informed. Our love of God should overflow into our love of our neighbor. Who is my neighbor? Anyone. Everyone. Anybody you come into contact with. The clerk at the grocery store. The barista at Starbucks. The person walking down the street. Yeah, your coworker and your boss, they're your neighbors. Yeah, your family, they're your neighbors. Won't you be a neighbor? Won't you be an ambassador for reconciliation in the kingdom of God to those around you? Won't you be a carrier of hope in this world of darkness? So after hearing a message like this, a question I would ask sitting in your shoes is, okay, what's a a starting place? What's a manner and a way in which I can begin to be the type of neighbor that God has called me to be? And This is a challenge I observed, something I observed from being a little kid and watching my dad uh, time and time again doing this. Because my dad's a preacher, and he's been a pastor of one church my entire life. And I learned a lot from him about being a pastor and about preaching. But one of the things I learned most from my dad was we'd go to this restaurant almost every Sunday after church. Good Tex-Mex restaurant. Man, if there's one thing I miss. Y'all, it's not the weather, it's not the beaches, it's, it's not the traffic. No, no, no. I miss Tex-Mex. We'd go to this place and every Sunday almost we'd eat there. And my dad would almost always ask the waiter or waitress before we would pray for our food. He'd simply ask, hey, we're, we're about to pray for our food. Is there anything we can pray with you about? It's simple but it has a profound impact. I can't tell you how many times as a kid I would cringe, right? Like, Dad, shh, stop it. They're gonna think we're the weirdos with the stuff at church. Like, we're not those type of people. We're just good Christian people that love God. Like, we do church, it's fun, yay. They're gonna think we're the weird ones. Over and over as a kid, I would, I would like tighten up every time my dad would ask it. but I can't tell you the amount of times my father would pose that question. Sometimes there, there would be something 
very basic and surface level that the response would be, but I can't tell you, as I just mentioned, the amount of times that the waiter or waitress would say, yeah, my child, this, that, and the other, could you pray for them? Yeah, my marriage, it's on the rocks, could you pray for it? Yeah, yeah, actually, it's been a very rough day, could you pray for me? And then to watch week after week after week of showing back up and the the individual we prayed for would come back and would say, hey, I just want you to know, not everything's perfect, not everything's fixed, not everything's better, but I just want you to know a little bit of the story of what God is doing in my life. Whoa, how simple. How, how basic, and yet the, the impact is so profound or could be so profound if we would just, just be willing to do the simplistic. So maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't, I don't really know. I think I'm a generally good neighbor, but maybe I want to step up my game and, and I want to become the neighbor that God intends me to be. I'd encourage you this week, the next seven days, sometime when you're out and about, when you're going through your daily life, ask someone. Say, hey, I'm just wanting to know, is there anything, anything I can pray with you about? Maybe you say, hey, listen, I, I believe in God and I pray daily and I just want to know when I pray later on today, is there anything I can be praying with you about? And just see, maybe, just maybe, that simple question, even though it makes you cringe on the inside and puts fear in your heart and you're like, dancing on coals, trying to figure out, hey, am I going to get burned here? Is this going to hurt? Is this going to be too awkward? Perhaps in the awkwardness is where God wants to meet you and where God wants to meet that individual. Hey, is there anything I can pray with you about? And little by little, we develop within us this desire to be the type of neighbor that no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, no matter what's going on, no matter how important what we're headed to is, we will push everything aside and we will stop to help the hurting. We will stop to help the broken. We will stop to care for someone. We will stop to show the love of Jesus and we will slow down in order to see those around us who are in need of the good news of hope every single day. Won't you be a neighbor? Won't you be a neighbor? Talk to people before and they're like, yeah, but what if I get hurt? What if, what if I let people in and then they abuse it or take advantage of it? And I heard a celebrity once say this, when you're in the position I'm in, you have two options. You can either shut yourself off from everybody, from the world and not live a full life or you can welcome everybody into your life. And occasionally somebody will try to take advantage. And I'd much rather be the person that lets people in. I think you and I were called to be the people that let people in. Won't you be a neighbor? Let's pray today. Lord, I, I love you and I thank you. I thank you first and foremost that you are greater than any neighbor that we could be on this earth. You, you left everything in heaven to come to this earth to, 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 to give up your life for us, to take the ultimate sacrifice, to die in our place that we could be free. We could have life and life everlasting. And you didn't just do it for a few. You did it for whoever. I thank you 
I thank you for not giving up on us. I thank you for not, for not speeding past us. I thank you for not, uh, for, for, for not thinking you had better things to do, but for stopping everything for us. Lord, my prayer, my heart, my desire in our lives is that we would see what you did for us and we would desire to be that type of neighbor for others. Who is our neighbor? It's whoever. So won't we be the neighbor? Won't we be the neighbor that loves? Won't we be the neighbor that prays? Won't we be the neighbor that goes? Won't we be the neighbor that heals? Won't we be the neighbor that gives? Won't we be the neighbor that, 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 that shows up and shows out time and time again, whether it costs our money or it costs our time or it costs our energy? Lord, let us see the souls of other people and the lives of individuals as worth it, whatever the cost may be. And though we may get burned, Lord, let us continue to move forward. Let us continue to love. Let us continue to care. Let us be the type of neighbor that stops everything and anything for the whoever's of this world. Lord, help us to be the neighbor you've called us to be. Help our lives, the fruit of our lives, to resemble the Samaritan and not that priest or that Levite. Lord, forgive us for the moments where we've walked by Forgive us for the moments where we've neglected. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be broken for the things your heart is broken for. Our minds would be open to what you want us to do. Today, I pray you'd speak to us and have your way. We love you, Lord. We thank you for today. We honor you. We give you our glory and honor and praise. We celebrate you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.